Tonight I want to speak on the subject, God's Hall of Fame. I have never finished this when I've tried to preach it. Because there are so many qualifications for God's Hall of Fame, but God has placed on my heart several, and I want to try to share these with you tonight. Please turn in your Bible to John chapter 12. John the 12th chapter. John chapter 12. We begin reading with verse 20. Verse 20. John chapter 12 beginning with verse 20. May we bow together in prayer before we read from God's word. Our Father, we thank thee for this time of fellowship around the word of God, for the songs that have been sung, for the blessings of this day, for a band of workers who have placed themselves at the availability of our Lord. We pray for God's hand upon each one. Our Father, move upon our hearts in this next few moments. And may we be willing to pay the price to be what God wants, to be part of His Hall of Fame. In Jesus' name, amen. And there were certain Greeks among them that came up to worship at the feast. The, came, the same came, therefore, to Philip, who was of Bethsaida of Galilee, and desired him, saying, Sir, we would see Jesus. Philip cometh and telleth Andrew, and again Andrew and Philip tell Jesus. And Jesus answered them, saying, The hour is come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Verily, verily, I say unto you, Except a grain of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. He that loveth his life shall lose it. He that hateth his life in this world shall keep it unto life eternal. If any man serve me, let him follow me. And where I am, there shall also my servant be. If any man serve me, him will my father honor. And verse 32, And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. The text of this message tonight is verse 26. If any man serve me, and where I am, there shall also my servant be. If any man serve me, him will my father honor. I can't get over that. I never have. Every time I read it, it just moves into my heart. It causes goose pimples on top of goose pimples and tears in my eyes and a throb and a burden in my soul. That wonderful promise. If any man serve me, him will my father honor. If a man lives to be 70 years old, at birth he has 25,550 days. At 12 years of age he has 21,170 days. At 13 he has 20,805 days. At 14 he has 20,440 days. At 16 he has 19,710 days. At 17, he has 19,345 days. At 20, he has 18,250 days. At 25, he has 16,425 days. At 35, he has 12,775 days. At 45, he has 9,165 days. 
At 51, he has 6,935 days. We don't have very long to do what God wants us to do. Not very long. So little time, the harvest will be ended. Our reaping done, the reapers gathered home. Isn't it strange that princes and kings and clowns that caper in sawdust rings and common folk like you and me are builders for eternity? To each is given a bag of tools, a shapeless mass, and a book of rules. And each must fashion, ere life has flown, a stumbling block or a stepping stone. Most people, listen to me, most people, will spend their little day in life like an actor on the stage and the curtain will fall and life will be over and we will never have accomplished the purpose for which we were born. My dear friend, you are not an accident. God brought you here for a purpose. He has a divine purpose for you, whoever you are, wherever you are. Whatever your condition, whatever your background, whatever your mentality, whatever your gifts, whatever your abilities, God has a purpose for you. God's purpose for you may be to be a help to someone else. It may be to be a blessing to someone else. God's help, purpose for you may, to be, may be to build bridges so that others can walk across them. God's purpose for you may be to teach others so they in turn can reach the throngs and the masses. Most of us around here know about Mordecai Ham, but the world don't know much about Mordecai Ham. He's the man that God used to touch Billy Graham, and Billy Graham in turn reached thousands and thousands of people. Most people know very little about Ed Kimball. Ed Kimball was a layman who lived in Boston. He was a member of a church and they asked him to teach a Sunday school class of young boys. He took his job seriously and there came into his class a young boy named Dwight. Dwight was so backward. He was so ignorant of the Bible, so, such little education. He had only gone to the third or fourth grade and he didn't know much and he slew the king's English and in class. Mr. Kimball would ask his boys to turn to Genesis and young Dwight would look all through that Bible and he'd look over here he didn't know where Genesis was and they'd make fun of him. One day, Dwight said, I just can't take it any longer. They'd make fun of me and those boys don't care anything about me. He just didn't go to Sunday school. Mr. Kimball recognized that immediately as an SOS to his heart. On Monday, he went downtown where he knew that young boy worked in a shoe store. By his own testimony, he said, I was afraid to go in. I thought maybe I'd embarrass that 17-year-old boy. I didn't want to hurt him, but I loved him and I wanted to reach him for God. He said, I walked past the shoe store and God told me to go back. I went back and then I walked past it again. And God told me to go back and I went back. This time he said, I went in and I found Dwight in the back wrapping some shoes. Mr. Kimball said, I just put my hand on young Dwight's shoulder and I said, young man, God loves you and he wants to save you. Ed Kimball told Dwight how to be saved that day, standing there in a shoe store. They didn't get on their knees. They just simply stood there and with a tear in his eye, Dwight surrendered his heart to Jesus Christ. 
That was Dwight Moody. He went out to win millions of people to the Lord. And the touch of his influence goes on and on around the world. And the sun never sets on the people who have been influenced for Christ by Dwight L. Moody. Most of us don't know anything about Ed Kimball. But it was Mr. Kimball God used to reach Dwight Moody. My friend, tonight I have a burdened heart. God may not raise you up to be a Billy Graham. He may not raise you up to be a Florence Nightingale. He may not let you be one of the great musical conductors. He may not let the world fall at your feet. He may not let the world even know who you are. But you're no accident. God has a plan. God has a purpose. God has something for you to do. There's a Hall of Fame in New York at University Heights. It's called the Literary Hall of Fame. It was built in 1899. And in its halls are pictures of Emerson and Hawthorne and Longfellow and Irvington and Jonathan Edwards and all the greats. You may never get in that Hall of Fame. There's another Hall of Fame in New York. It's called the Baseball Hall of Fame. Babe Ruth was the first man to have his picture placed in that great Hall of Fame. You know Babe Ruth, who broke 76 records, made 714 home runs, 60 of them in one season. And at his death, 77,000 people filed in Yankee Stadium to look upon his dead face, Babe Ruth. Thank God for him. He was a Christian. But I want to tell you, you may not ever get in the Literary Hall of Fame or the Baseball Hall of Fame or the Basketball Hall of Fame or any of men's halls of fame on this earth. There's a Preacher's Hall of Fame in Canton, Canton Ohio. And you may not ever get your name or picture in that, in that Preacher's Hall of Fame. But I want to tell you there's another Hall of Fame open tonight, and that's God's Hall of Fame. And you can be part of that if you're willing to qualify, if you're willing to pay the price. In Ezekiel chapter 33, listen to this, in chapter 22, rather, verse 30. And I sought for a man among them that should make up the hedge and stand in the gap before me for the land, that I should not destroy it, but I found none. I sought for a man. I sought for a man. That's what God has said all the way from Genesis to Malachi and from Matthew to Revelation. I'm seeking for somebody. I'm looking for somebody that I can trust. Somebody I can trust with my secrets. Somebody who will be willing to pay the price. Oswald J. Smith put it this way. God is waiting in the silence for a heart that he can fill. He must find it cleansed and empty with a spirit calm and still. God is waiting in the silence mid the rush and roar of life, waiting someone's heart to enter, someone quiet in the strife. God is waiting in the silence as the world goes rushing by. Will not someone stop and listen, answer quickly, here am I. God is really waiting in the silence. Oh, to know that he is near, earth recedes and heaven opens. God is waiting. God is here. And I want to submit to you tonight, you can be part of God's Hall of Fame. You may have been elected as a leader in this church tonight, or you may not have been. You may be a young person, or you may be an older person. You may have a lot of days to live, or you may not have many days to live. But everybody in this room tonight can be part of God's Hall of Fame if you're willing to meet the qualifications. And I want to present some of them to you tonight. First of all, if you want to be part of God's Hall of Fame, you need the purpose of a Daniel. The purpose of a Daniel. In Daniel chapter 1 verse 8, 
But Daniel purposed in his heart. Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the king's meat nor the portion of the wine and all that kind of thing. Daniel grew up in Jerusalem. He had had an encounter with the Lord God. The hordes from Babylonia swept down in Judea and they captured those from Jerusalem and Judea. They took them back over to Babylon. And among those that were taken were some of the choice young people of the land. And when they went to back to Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar gave command that Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, and Daniel become part of the king's court, inner court, that they might be trained to be the wise men and the astrologers of the land. And so they began to give them the king's meat and the king's wine until they got to Daniel. And Daniel said, no, thank you. I'm not going to have any of that. Oh, but they said, you don't understand. This is the king's mandate. Daniel said, I have another king whom I serve. They said, when you're in Rome, you do as Rome does. When you're in Babylon, you do as Babylon does. When you're in Bowling Green, you do as Bowling Green does. When you're in high school, you do like everybody else does. When you're over at Western, you do like everybody else does. Daniel said, I'm sorry, sir. I have had an appointment with the king of heaven, and one day I'm going to give an, a, a report to him, and, and I'm not going to take the king's wine nor the king's meat. I have purposed in my heart. We need some men and women today who will pay the price to have a purpose in their heart. Now I want you to note that that purpose in his heart began with an encounter with God. He did not fake it. You cannot fake it. You cannot fake it. You can sing the songs of Zion. You can go along with the crowd. You can pretend like you know the Lord Jesus Christ. But when the tough times come and the testing times come, if you want to be like everybody else, it's because you have no purpose in your heart. You have no purpose in your mind. You have no purpose for life. Daniel said, I have a purpose. I've purposed in my heart. And the reason he purposed in his heart is because he was on the road that leads home. In Matthew chapter 7, Jesus said, Enter in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many there be that go in thereat, because narrow is the gate, and hard is the way which leads to life, and few there be that find it. Men, by nature, are on a road that leads down to hell, and it's a broad road. And everybody's on it. And Jesus said, said don't, don't be surprised at that broad road. Everybody's on it. You were born on it. And if you haven't gotten off of that road, you're still on it tonight. Whoever you are, wherever you are. And that broad road, full of company, full of bright lights, full of pleasure, full of the world's standards, goes down, 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 down. And anybody knows that it's easier to go downstream than upstream. It's easier to walk down a hill than go up a hill. And you're on your way down, and it's not very hard. And you don't have to do anything to get on that road because you're already on it. But out there ahead is the valley of destruction, the city of hell, where the worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched. And many, many, many are on their way to hell tonight. And maybe somebody in this room is on a road that leads down to destruction. But I want to tell you, right in the middle of that broad road, there's a narrow road. Sometimes that narrow road is pictured as a crossroads, and that's all right. But I believe the Bible teaches that narrow road is right in the middle of that broad road. <clears throat> and the narrow road leads the other way. It leads home. It leads to heaven. And Jesus said it's narrow. And there's a price to pay to be on it. It is entered by faith in the shed blood of Jesus Christ. And Jesus said, not many are going to get on that narrow road. Everybody's going to be on the broad road. And you're on your way down to hell. You're on your way on that broad road. And suddenly you hear the word of God. 
some soul winner, some preacher, some mother, some daddy, somebody reaches you and you hear and your heart is, is plowed deeply with God's word and suddenly there comes a godly sorrow for sin and a repentance toward God and a faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and you make an about face and you're off that broad road and you're on a narrow road that leads home. And on that narrow road, everybody out there on the broad road is constantly pulling at you. Come on to this dance. Come on and wear your shorts. Come on and be naked. Come on and live like everybody else. Come on and drink. Come on and smoke. Come on and curse. Come on and live like the rest of us. We don't like you for being so narrow. Jesus said, don't be surprised if you're on a narrow road that leads home. I didn't promise you it would be a broad road. And if you don't like the narrow road, something's wrong inside of your heart, my friend. God said the road to heaven is a holy road. It's a narrow road. And the people who believe the word of God have been preaching about holiness long before they ever heard of people that called themselves holiness. And I want to submit to you tonight, Baptists have let down our banners. And it's a shame to God that a person can leave a church and go down the street to another church that calls itself with the same name and never hear anything about the narrow road and living close to faith in Jesus Christ and living and paying a price for your faith. Daniel said, I'm sorry, I'm on a narrow road. And that road leads home and the Lord road doesn't leave any room for me to dance. It doesn't leave any room for me to drink. It doesn't leave any room for me to run around. It doesn't leave any room for me for drugs. It doesn't leave any room for me to go around half naked. It, it means that I've got to honor Christ. I'm going to serve God. I have a purpose. I have a purpose in my heart. And I want to tell you tonight, if you want to be on the narrow road that leads to life, if you want to be part of God's hall of fame, you need to be on that narrow road and you have to have a purpose in your heart. Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself. And you can't fake it. You can't fake it. After a while, it will show up. Somebody said, I think it was Billy Graham, said that 90, that 60% of the Baptist church members have never been born again. I don't know whether that's true or not, but I want to tell you, if you're here tonight and you're singing the songs and you're going through the motions, but your heart isn't in it, and you think those who talk about these standards are old fogies, and you don't have a purpose in your heart, something is wrong somewhere. Look inside of you. Don't look somewhere else. Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself. Now, if you want to be part of God's Hall of Fame, you need the prudence, not only the purpose of a Daniel, but you need the prudence of a Joseph. Listen to this. Over in Genesis chapter 39, a wonderful passage of Scripture that always makes me marvel. Joseph was a man more like Jesus than any other man in the Old Testament unless it was Daniel. And Joseph was sold into Egypt, into slavery, and he was landed up at Potiphar's house, and Potiphar had an unscrupulous woman as his wife. They tell us that today is the first time that women ever lusted after men. That's not true. That happened in Bible times. And this woman, this wicked, unscrupulous Potiphar's wife, lusted after young, handsome Joseph. He was 17 or 18 years old when he got there. And let me read you some of the record. Came to pass after these things that his master's wife cast her eyes upon Joseph and said, Lie with me. 
He refused and said to his master's wife, Behold, my master knoweth not what is within me in the house. He hath committed all things that he hath to my hand. There is none greater in this house than I. Neither hath he kept back anything from me but thee, because thou art his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And it came to pass that she spoke to Joseph day by day that he hearkened not unto her to lie by her or to be with her. And it came to pass about this time that Joseph went into his house to do his work. And there were none of the men in the house there. And she caught him by his garment saying, Lie with me. And he left his garment in her hand and fled and got out. I don't have to draw you a picture of what happened. But Joseph had some prudence in his heart born by the Spirit of God. And when she said, Come on, big boy. Come on. You're handsome. You're what I need. I've been looking for you. You're all that I need. He said, I'm sorry. I know the Lord God of heaven. We're living in a time of do it if it feels good. Whatever it is, make any difference. If you want it, nothing wrong with it. Do it if it feels good. Joseph became part of God's Hall of Fame because he had the prudence to say, no, I'll not do it. Bill, uh, can't think of his name right now. He led World Vision from Bob, Bob Pierce, who led World Vision for many years. He's now with the Lord. Bob Pierce said sometime before he died, the communists are out praying us and out paying us and out dedicating us and out living us and out working us, and communism is winning with a lie while Christians are losing with the truth. Somebody said, what do you mean by that? And Mr. Pierce said in, in Paris some time ago, a young communist man told Billy Graham, I'd shoot my mother and ask no questions if the Communist Party told me to do it. Fanatical commitment and dedication. God doesn't ask you to kill your mother. God doesn't ask you to kill anybody. God asks you to give your body to Him. In Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your body a living sacrifice. All too often we preachers have talked about giving Jesus your heart. Now, He wants your heart, but He wants your body. The rest of the world's never going to know whether God has your heart unless He has your body. That matters where you go, what you say, what you do with your body. Give your body on the altar of service. He wants your ears. He wants your eyes. He wants your tongue. He wants your hands. He wants your feet. He wants the comely parts and the uncomely parts. God wants it all. And if you want to be part of God's Hall of Fame, you need the prudence of a Joseph who dared to say the hardest word in the English language. I guess in his language too. No. 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 Girls, learn to say it. Boys, learn to say it. Men, learn to say it. Women, learn to say it. You turn your radio on today and all the Grand Ole Opry stuff that I used to like to listen to and all the Western country Western stuff that I used to like to listen to and all the rock music and all the popular music. What you talking about? How this woman can get that other woman's husband and how that man can get that other woman's wife, uh, man's wife. And if it doesn't talk about that, it talks about all kinds of suggestive things. I'm in love with my wife's best friend or my husband's best friend, all that kind of thing. You see, God must, must weep over the conditions. And when you listen to that all the time and it appeals to your heart, you go work in these factories 
And some woman comes along and says, wait, wait, can I just talk to you? <laughs> can I talk to you? I want to tell you, you listen to me, big boy, and my, my man at home, won't, won't, he doesn't have any time to listen to me. Could I just tell you about my little troubles? And so you pour all your troubles out to that man. And that man doesn't give a hang for you. He just wants your body. And he hardly waits to pounce on you like a vulture. And you don't have any more sense. You're just a little old innocent something. And you don't have any sense. And you just pray and play right into his little hands. And pretty soon you've gone under and your home is in trouble. Why? Because you didn't have sense enough to know that you don't have any business talking to another man at a factory on a coffee break. Get your Bible out and read it. Hand out some Christian literature. You don't have any right whatsoever to talk to another man about your home troubles. And husbands, you don't have any right to talk to another woman about your home troubles. You talk to God. Seek a counselor. Seek a preacher. Talk to him. But don't you talk to some other man or some other woman about the secret things of your home. You need to learn to say no. You want the prudence of a Joseph if you're going to be part of God's Hall of Fame who learned to say no, I'll not do it. And teachers and workers and officers and leaders in this church, you and I who are going to carry the, the chalice of the Word of God and the message of Jesus into valleys of human need, we have to learn to say no. What a terrible shame for somebody that God has trusted and put in places of leadership and service to teach the Word, to, to, to stand in the church and to do what God wants. And then we get all tangled up with somebody else. Morally, spiritually, tragedy, tragedy. You want to be part of God's Hall of Fame? Have the prudence of a Joseph. And be willing to stand by some stuff, some standards. I'm amazed. I'm amazed. I'm amazed and shocked. When I began my ministry 30 years ago, parents used to come and say, pray for my kids. Pray for my kids. I want them to live godly, holy lives. I want them to dress like men and women. I want them to be different. I want them to have some standards. Pray for them. Today, parents get mad at me for having some standards and upholding come to me and say, you're just old-fashioned. My daughter can do whatever she wants to and dress like she wants to, and I don't want her to hear all that old foggy stuff. Shame on you. Shame, shame, thrice shame. And I know you can go down the street and hear some other preacher and he'll never mention it, and I'm not mad at any preachers. I love them all, but shame! Years ago, that didn't, wasn't true. That wasn't true. You want to be part of God's Hall of Fame? You need to learn to have the prudence of a Joseph who learned to say, no, 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 I'll not do it. I'll be what God wants me to be. And then if you want to be part of God's Hall of Fame, you need another qualification, and that is you need to have the pardon of a David. You need to have the pardon of a David because you see sometimes we live in a world that's so sick we get our lives all tangled up with it up with it. All messed up. All mixed up. And I want to ask you, does that mean there's no hope anymore? Suppose you do fail. Suppose you do stumble. Suppose you do make a mistake. Is that the end of the line? Thank God that he put in the Bible the story about David. That's one reason we know the Bible's the inspired word of God. It takes its great heroes and shows us that they have feet of clay.
David didn't go out to war one day. I guess he didn't go out soul winning. Didn't go out there to the battle. Teachers, God wants us to go soul winning. Our place on Thursday, if we're not dead tired and in the hospital sick or some other problem, we need to be out there soul winning. David wasn't out there. He wasn't at the battle. He wasn't at the task. And he was home, up on the rooftop, just taking it easy, sitting back there. I don't know what he was doing. Just maybe sitting there, sunning himself, taking it easy, you know. Maybe had a mirror looking at himself. And he opened his eyes and he saw over there on the roof a woman beautiful woman. She was bathing. Now I want to tell you, I don't blame her. She probably didn't have any place else to bathe. I'm not blaming her. I'm blaming old David. He was the king. He was a man after God's own heart. He had written, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And David got his eyes over there. And he was king and he sent for her. She came and he had an ungodly affair with her. And then she sent word to the king, I'm going to have a baby by you. He's in an awful fix. What was he going to do? He sent to the front of the battle and told Joab to send Uriah home. That was that woman's husband. Now I want you to note that Uriah was one of his best friends. You read in the scripture and you'll find that Uriah was one of David's men. One of his 300. Precious man. It almost breaks your heart to tell the story. Uriah comes home. and He comes up to report to the king. And David says, you go home and spend some time with your wife. You've been away from her for a while. Oh, no, king, I can't do that. While the other men, the king's men are out there fighting the battle, I can't do that. And David made David nervous. And the man went down and spent the night at the front of the palace. And David sent some wine down and got him drunk. He thought for sure... He'll go home now, but he didn't go home. The next day, King David, someday when I get to heaven, I'm going to ask him, how in the world, David, did you write that letter? He wrote a letter. I'm sure he must have been scared to death, filled with fear, guilt. He wrote a letter, Joab, tomorrow when you get this letter, you take some of the choice men, be sure Uriah's with them, take them out to the front of the battle, and then withdraw everybody but Uriah. I want him to die. And off Uriah, that noble man goes with his own death warrant sealed in an envelope. Reports to Joab. The next day it is done, and the word comes back, King David, Uriah's dead. And the king thought, well, now nobody will know. He sent Took, your, your, took Bathsheba to be his wife. Uriah was dead, after all. It's legal now. But God knew. And I want to tell you, you think you can get by with some sins that nobody knows about, God knows about them. He knows all about them. He knows you in your dark times. He knows you in your bright times. He knows all about you. And leadership, teachers, workers, servants of God, God knows about you. And over in another part of the kingdom, God said to a prophet named Nathan, I want you to go make the visit to the king. I have a message for the king. I don't think the king wanted to see the preacher. Nathan came anyway. Came in and said, O king, 
there was a there was a landowner had a lot of animals and big herds and he had some company across the road there was a little tenant farmer he didn't have anything but just a little ewe lamb it was the pet of his family his children and old king that that landowner that wealthy landowner sent over and got that little old ewe lamb and brought it home and killed it and had it for dinner what do you think should be done and the Bible says the king's face was ashen. He was angry. He was mad. He said, the man should die. Nathan said, thou art the man. Now I want to tell you, David was king. Here was this bony preacher pointing his finger in the king's face. The king said it could have sent for his henchmen and come in and said, get this man away. Kill him. I guess he could have called a deacon's meeting and said, well, we've got to fire this preacher. But do you know what he did? Do you know what King David did? He got down on his knees. He cried out, Lord, I'm guilty. Against thee and thee only have I sinned and done this awful thing. God, restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. Created within me a clean heart. And he poured out his lament and his asking forgiveness for the this awful sin to God, and God forgave him. God pardoned him. Isn't that wonderful? Aren't you glad that's in the Word of God? I'm sorry about David's awful black spot, but listen. Somebody wrote the king, the, the bird with the broken pinion never soared so high again. I'm not sure. David went on to be a great man for God. And after he died, all the succeeding generations said there's one day going to come a Messiah and he's going to be like David. He's going to sit on the throne of David. Why? Because God restored him. There's an eternal principle. Lee Kennedy told us about it when he told his testimony this morning when he said, I was saved 28 years ago and he said, I've never been lost since I've been saved. When you're God's child and God saves you, he may discipline you. He may send somebody to you, but you'll never be the devil's child again. And if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us, not from just a few of the sins, but from all unrighteousness. God said it, and it's done. And if you want to be part of God's Hall of Fame, there needs to come a point in time in your life when you own up to your sins and you confess them turn away from them, forsake them, get rid of them, and seek his forgiveness. And then when he gives you his forgiveness, accept it. One of the great problems among Christians tonight is that God has forgiven them, but they have not forgiven themselves. Suppose David went the rest of his life and said, oh, poor me, poor me, oh, man, oh, what am I going to do, what am I going to do? Suppose everybody in the kingdom had said, look at that old David, that old wicked thing, that old mean thing, look what he did. None, nothing like that happened. King David got God's forgiveness and then he forgave himself and God put a heart of forgiveness in the people around him. And he shut the mouths of lions and he went on serving God. If you want to be part of God's hall of fame, then you need the pardon of a David. And that pardon of a David does not just mean that you've gone to Jesus with your sins, but you accepted his pardon. You have, for, for, you have accepted his forgiveness and you have forgiven yourself so you can get up and go and work and serve. I don't know how many Christians tonight are laboring under the awful, awful problem, the awful density 
of past sins for which you have not forgiven yourself. If you want to be part of God's Hall of Fame, get God's forgiveness and then forgive yourself. Get back in the battle. Get going for God. Serve Him, love Him, honor Him, live for Him. Give me some more time, will you? I'm not through. And I've got so many burdens on my heart to share with you tonight. If we want to be part of God's Hall of Fame, let me share this with you. We need to pay the price of a Joshua. We need to pay the price of a Joshua. Listen, Joshua, when he was young, got close to Moses. Moses had two sons, didn't care anything about their daddy. They ridiculed him, they mocked him, they didn't pay any attention to him. But Joshua, he got as close to, his, to Moses, brother Moses, as he could. He walked with him. He was there. He prayed with him. When Moses went up on Sinai, Joshua said, I'm going with you. Nobody else dared say that. Joshua did. He went with him. He didn't go all the way, but he went as far as Moses and God would let him. When he came back down, it was Joshua who was with Moses when they heard all that music and all that rock stuff that made God's heart sick. And God said, I'm going to destroy the people. And Joshua was standing there and watched Moses with a great heartache say, God, please don't destroy them. Brought me out of the book, but don't destroy the people. Joshua heard all that he was with Moses. He paid the price to be close to Moses. You remember in the book of Numbers when Korah led a rebellion against Moses? Listen, this is so sick. Turn your Bible and look at Numbers. Book of Numbers, chapter 16. Listen to this. Now Korah, the son of Ishar, the son of Koath, the son of Levi, and Dathan, and Abram, the son of Eliab, and On, the son of Peleth, sons of Reuben, took men, and they rose up before Moses with certain of the children of Israel, 250 princes of the assembly, famous in the congregation, men of renown. And they gathered themselves together against Moses and against Aaron and said unto them, You take too much upon you, seeing all the congregation is holy, every one of them, and the Lord is among them. Wherefore then, lift up your, yourselves above the congregation. Do you get what's happening? Korah led a rebellion against Moses. You, see, you think you're the only holy guy around here. You're trying to tell us all what to do. You're trying to be a dictator. You're trying to set standards for everybody. You're trying to tell us what to do. I want to tell you, Moses, you're not the only one God speaks to. And he had all those men of renowned and famous men that just played right into Korah's hands. Where was Joshua? Joshua was standing with Moses. Right there with Moses. He was paying the price. Where are you when the murmuring starts? Where are you when the grumbling starts? Where are you when men get off sides? Where do you stand when people are critical of the man of God? Where? Joshua stood with Moses. He paid a great price. They didn't like him. They said, Joshua, you're just a yes man. Everything Moses said, you say amen to. Don't you have any thinking of your own? And Joshua stood right there with Moses. And he paid the price, a supreme price, a big price. If you're going to be part of God's Hall of Fame, get close to people who are on their way to Zion's Hill. Get so close so you can walk under the same umbrella with them. 
You think like they do. Your heart beats like they do. You work with them. You don't stand on the other side. The whole book of Obadiah. I wish you'd go home and read Obadiah tonight. The whole book of Obadiah, one chapter. All the verses are written as an indictment on Edom. You know why? Because when the Babylonians came in to take over Jerusalem and Judah, Edom stood over on the other side. Stroked his beards. Ha, ha, ha. See what's happening to them? Ha, 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 ha. And God said, Edom, because you stood on the other side, you're going to be destroyed. Where do you stand when the battle gets going? Joshua stood with Moses. Teachers, leaders, workers, trustees, deacons, choir, Sunday school, training union, everybody. Where do you stand when the going gets tough? If you want to be part of God's Hall of Fame, pay the price of a Joshua. And in Joshua's old age, he said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And when Moses passed off the scene, God called Joshua. And do you know what happened? Jo you ought to read it, first chapter of Joshua. Some men got around Joshua and said, now Joshua, we're not going to let them treat you like they did Moses. First man that raises his hand against you, they're going to be dead men. And Joshua was able to go in and lead the people of God to a great work. If you want to be part of God's Hall of Fame, you need the principle of a Caleb. You need the principle of a Caleb. You know what Caleb did? Caleb was with Joshua at Kadesh Barnea. And when they sent 12 spies into the land to see if they could conquer the land, Caleb and Joshua came out. And Caleb's report was, why, uh, we've got grapes of Eskel. And I'll tell you, we can go in there, we're well able to conquer the land. And everybody else was jittering and shaking, and their knees were knocking, and they said, oh, we can't do it. We've seen men as grass, uh, we've seen, we're just grasshoppers like all those giants, and oh, we can't do it, we can't do it. And they didn't, they didn't. And for 40 years, they paid the price, wandering around the wilderness, till all, they all of them died in the wilderness. And then Caleb, still alive. He's 85 years old. And Joshua has marched through the land of the, of, of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Jebusites and the Perizzites and all the rest of them. And, and Caleb comes up and says, Oh, brother Joshua, don't you remember that you and I were down there with Moses at Kadesh Barnea? And don't you remember that Moses promised me I could have Hebron? Now, I'm 85, but my strength is just like it used to be. And I want that mountain. I want that mountain. I want that mountain. And Caleb didn't quit. He didn't quit. He just kept on going. If you want to be part of God's Hall of Fame, you need the principle of a Caleb who keeps on in the face of all kinds of insurmountable obstacles and problems and burdens. If you want to be part of God's Hall of Fame, you need the probity of a Timothy. The probity of a Timothy. What does that word mean? Integrity, virtue, faithfulness, loyalty, singleness of heart. You remember all those things Paul wrote to Timothy? Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. O Timothy, I beseech you to flee youthful lusts 
and follow righteousness and forsake old wives' fables and all those things. Timothy said, yes, sir. Yes, sir. So that years later, Paul was writing from a Roman prison and he said to the Philippian Christians, I hope I can send Timothy to you because I don't have anybody like Timothy. I don't have anybody. I don't know anybody like Timothy who never thinks of himself but is always thinking of the work of God. You want to be part of God's Hall of Fame? You need to be like Timothy and have the probity of a Timothy, the integrity of a Timothy, the faithfulness of a Timothy. And I could go on and on tonight, but let me close by just saying if you want to be part of God's Hall of Fame, you need the power of a Paul. The power of a Paul. Over in Philippians chapter 3, verse 10, Paul said that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death that I may know him. Oh God, make that our cry, our heart cry. Teachers and leaders and workers and servants of God at this place, let's make that our heart cry that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. Oh, God, help me to make that true in my life. God is looking for somebody he can use. Jim Elliott went to the Orcas Indians. A little while before he died at the hands of the Orcas Indians, he wrote his mother and said, Mother, I don't mean to sound pedantic, but those of us who have enlisted with the Lord Jesus have enlisted with him who talked about a cross and who talked about dying. And mother, pray for me that I will have the great, the spirit of the great, short-lived one. That's what we need. The spirit of the great, short-lived one, Jesus. And then Jim Elliot said, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Years ago, when I was a young boy, there was a boy that lived down in Knoxville. His name was Bill. Bill had been saved when he was a junior boy. He liked to tinker with cars. He was out fixing a car. He was in high school, and he heard a voice inside, Bill. Hey, Bill, when you finish high school, I want you to go to college. I have something for you to do. Bill said, okay, God, I'll do that. Finished high school, he went to college. Spent those years in college, and while he was in college, one day he heard that voice inside. Bill, Bill, when you finish college, I want you to go to medical school. I want you to go to medical school. Bill said, okay, God, I'll do that. Bill went to medical school. And while he was in medical school, one day he heard that voice inside again. Bill, hey, Bill, when you finish medical school, I want you to go to the seminary. Seminary? Yeah, the seminary. I want you to be a preaching doctor. Okay, God, I'll do that. I'll do that. He went to the seminary. And while he was in the seminary one day, he heard a voice saying, Bill, Bill, when you get out of the seminary, I want you to go to China. China? Yeah. I, I want you to build a hospital for me there and win some of those Chinese to Jesus. Bill said, okay, God, I'll do that. I'll do that. Got out of the seminary. He went to China. 
He built a little hospital in Wuchow and won many of the Chinese to Jesus. Not only touched their bodies with healing, but he won their spirits to God. And they arrested Bill, put him in prison, and they tortured him. They did everything they could to make him recant his faith, but he wouldn't do it. One day the soldiers came down to the hospital and said to the nurses, you can come and get the body of Bill. He's dead. With tears and tenderness, they went over and lovingly picked up the body of Bill and noticed the torture marks. They carried him outside the city of Wuchow. In a little hillside cemetery, they put his body in a grave and they put a marker over it. And on that marker were these words, Bill Wallace, for to me to live is Christ. That's it. We need some replacements, not only in China. China's closed. We need some replacements all around the world. We need some replacements in Bowling Green. And my dear friend, no missionary that ever went overseas need to have a greater commitment to Jesus than a Sunday school teacher or a deacon or a trustee or a choir member or a servant of God in the city of Bowling Green and in the ministry of the Glendale Baptist Church. You want to be part of God's Hall of Fame? There's an open place tonight. If you're willing to qualify, if you're willing to pay the price, you can be part of it. I dare you to do it. I dare you to do it. For Jesus' sake, we march, we march, we march. Years ago, in 1935, in Red Square in Moscow, there was a communist parade, and they marched down toward the Kremlin. And down near St. Peter's Cathedral, there was a bottleneck that developed. And uh, the, the people in the parade began to mark time and, 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 and just stand there and march like that, marking time. It was snow and it was cold and snow was spitting in the air. And those young, those communists began to sing in the Russian language. Up in the bleachers, there was an American newspaperman named Mr. Wells. And he turned to a Russian correspondent and said, what are they singing? What, what are they singing? Oh, he said, nothing. They're just singing. Well, what are their words? Oh, he said, they're just singing. We may be cold, we may be hungry, but we march to change the world. Cold, hungry, marching to change the world? Listen, if they marched into every capital city on the face of the earth, there'd still be the same sin and greed and heartache. But we have a message that can change the world. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth to the Jew first and also to the Greek. You and I, as leaders, as workers, as Christians, as God people, as young people, as older people, we can march. I'm not talking about parades. I'm talking about marching into places of service. Marching into homes to lead people to Jesus. Marching into classrooms to open the Bible and talk to people about Jesus. Marching into deacons meetings and helping to build a spirit of atmosphere of love and trust and confidence that will enable this church to reach the ends of the earth with the grace of God. Who will be part of that hall of fame? Who will do it? Who will do it? Let's close our eyes, bow our heads in prayer. I know I've preached a long time tonight, but this was something I had to unburden my soul about, and I appreciate your listening.
Now listen, the important hour is right here now. I want to ask you to weigh in your own heart, am I willing to pay the price? Am I willing to be part of God's Hall of Fame? Am I willing to qualify to pay that price? Whoever you are, young, old, middle-aged, whether you are elected to any office or not elected to any office, whoever you are, are you willing to pay the price to be part of God's Hall of Fame of service for His glory? Are you? Are you really? And tell God that and tell Him that you're not ashamed to declare that openly. Our Father, I thank you for this time tonight to preach thy word. And I pray now that you will call out men and women and boys and girls who are willing to say, having done all, I'll stand. And I want to be part of God's Hall of Fame. In Jesus' name, remain in prayer, please. One by one, if you could mean business with God, and you could say, I want God to use me. I want to be part of God's Hall of Fame. I don't care what others do. It's for me and my house. We're going to serve the Lord. We're going to be what God wants. I'm willing to pay the price. I'm going to ask God to give me that spirit of love and power. And I want to, those qualifications in my life. You willing to do that? I want to ask you to get up and come and stand right here at the front of this pulpit. Just right now, with no music, nothing. If you're willing. Nobody's looking. I hope her eyes are closed. I'm not looking right now. Just her eyes closed. You do what God tells you to do. And if God tells you to do it, don't say no when God says go. You willing? Take that stand tonight to be part of God's Hall of Fame. That's not for us to look around at anybody to see if somebody else has done this. It's for us to look into our own hearts and just say, Lord, here am I. Here am I. As a servant of God, as a Christian, as a worker, I want to commit myself to you to be what you want, to be part of God's Hall of Fame. And I want to particularly ask the teachers and leaders and workers in the work of Jesus, would you be willing to come and say that to God? And young people, would you be willing to come and say that to God? The will of God is always bigger than you bargain for. You do what God tells you to do. Our Father, you looked into our hearts. You've spoken to us. We pray that tonight the Holy Spirit of God would move across the heartstrings of our soul that you would help us to say, I'll pay the price. I'll be part of God's Hall of Fame. God being my helper, I'll do it. And when I get off the track, I'm going to come and confess it, ask you to cleanse me. And I'm going to make it as my theme that I may know you, the power of your resurrection, and the fellowship of your suffering. Use me, Lord, use me. Now, Father, I want to ask you 
to draw these dear ones close to your heart. May there be such a yieldedness that you'll trust some of them with such a great measure of faith that with a little band you can accomplish great things like you did with Gideon's band. And Lord, may the future of this church, as was pointed out earlier in the service, which rests so much upon those of us gathered here, may the future of this church be glorious as souls are saved, lives transformed, young people go out and are sent out into the mission fields and to preach in the pulpits of this nation while the doors are still open. And that we go out door to door and accept the responsibility for our Jerusalem. God grant that. And while we remain in prayer, I wonder if there's somebody in this place tonight who is not a Christian. You're not saved. You've never given your heart to Jesus. I wonder if you'd step out from where you are and just come and say, I want to be part of God's Hall of Fame too. I want to yield my life to Jesus Christ. I want to be what God wants me to be. I want to put my all on the altar for the Lord. Would you say that to me? Thank you, Lord, for what you're doing here tonight. Have thine own way. In the name of Jesus, remain in prayer. I want to ask everybody to stand right where you are. We're going to sing, I have decided to follow Jesus. I won't turn back. I won't turn back. With our heads bowed, those who are at the front, sing that as a prayer to God. It doesn't have to be a soft prayer, but sing it as a prayer. Direct it to Him. I followed, decided to follow you, Jesus. Incidentally, you don't become a Christian by following Jesus. You don't get saved by following. You get saved by yielding to Him, repenting of sin, putting your faith in Him. But you can become what God wants you to be by following Him. Jesus said, follow me and I will make you a fisher of men. I've decided to follow Jesus. While we sing this, with our heads bowed and eyes closed, maybe there's somebody else that would like to join these in taking this stand for Christ tonight.